We are leaving the book of Exodus. We're coming up for fresh air, if you will, and we're going back to Genesis, actually. So if you would look with me to Genesis 41, verses 50 to 51, these two verses will serve as our bedrock for the message today, but then we will also be all throughout the Bible today. So if you weren't really good at sword drills growing up or in Awana, um, they are on the screen. The verses are, but I would encourage you to flip in uh, the Bible in front of you if you need. And if you need a Bible, there should be one in the pews or the back tables there. But let us look now to 4150 to 51. God's word says this, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all of my father's house. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It is incredibly difficult for me to cry. Uh, There are many, many times where tears would be warranted and welcomed, and I have just dry eyes. My heart is saddened, and I empathize, and yet I cannot cry. Funerals I've been to, hearing people's stories given to me, and yet I simply just cannot cry. And it kind of looks bad as someone's weeping in front of me, and I'm just sitting there going, and I'm kind of poking myself, like, come on, cry, please, please, like, give me, give me some tears. But it's very difficult for me to cry, and while I worked at the YMCA at Norton Commons, I would listen, it was about 30-minute drive from my apartment, I would listen to the Bible on audio every day up and every day back. And when I got to these verses, I remember pulling into my apartment complex and just tears coming over me as I sat in there. And I probably looked really stupid to uh, anyone passing by. I'm just going, ah, in my car, uh, and people are looking at me. But I remember just weeping at this beautiful verse or these beautiful verses. And we might ask, okay, why? What is so important about Joseph having two sons and naming the first one Manasseh, and what hardships did he go through that he has now forgotten? If you didn't grow up in church or if you're unfamiliar with the story of Joseph, uh, allow me to kind of give you the synopsis of what he went through. And if you are familiar, allow me to refresh your memory. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers at the age of 17 He worked as a slave in Potiphar's house in the land of Egypt for 11 years, where he was eventually falsely accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife and then was thrown into prison for these accusations for two years. No trial, just immediately sentenced for two years. And all the while, God remained silent to Joseph. We never get a verse about God comforting Joseph during his time. There's never a verse of saying, and Joseph cried out to God, and God said, you know, it's going to be okay, I'm here for you. We never get a verse like that. So it's very clear, or it appears to us, that God chooses to remain silent during Joseph's hardship. Imagine now, if you will, what that does to your psyche. What does that do in your mind? Put yourself into Joseph's shoes for a minute. Betrayed by your family and forced into slavery, no doubt is going to cause massive trust issues and anger. You're going to sleep years with bitter anger, crying out for justice, wanting those people to pay for what they did to you, yearning to see your mom and dad again, going to bed every night. Do they miss me? Are they thinking about me? What story did my brothers tell them? 
do my brothers care at all? Why did they do this? Joseph has no idea why he was sold into slavery. You're longing to be with your younger brother, Benjamin, and Joseph and Benjamin share the same mother. So imagine now Joseph saying, well, they got me. Are they going to get my other brother? What now? That's, and that's Joseph's favorite of all the 12. Now you're paranoid going to bed. Is he here as well? Did they also sell Benjamin? Do I need to go find Benjamin? You're paranoid. You're scared. And you're crying out to God for help and hearing nothing. Then after years of servitude, you gain the trust and respect of your master. And then one day, as opportunity arises, you are falsely accused of sexual assault. And without question or a trial, you're thrown into prison. And you go to bed every night saying, I'm innocent. And having no one believe you and everyone hate you. In prison, you realize the truth that no matter how much you thought Potiphar liked you, you were nothing more than a slave to him to be cast aside and thrown away at the first sign of issues. Sitting alone in a dark, damp prison, suffering your ability to trust anyone has been broken and shattered. It is impossible to trust again, crying out to God again for help and yet hearing nothing. And then when the only two prisoners you form a bond with are released, a promise is made to you saying tomorrow when I see Pharaoh, I will have him release you. Your hope is renewed now. Well, I trust this person. He's my friend. I've interpreted dreams for them. And yet your trust is again destroyed as two years go by without any fulfillment of that promise. Every night going to bed is tonight the night, is today the day. Surely he hasn't forgotten me. He made a promise. Two years with this question of, am I going to be released today? And hearing nothing, your ability to care and hope are gone. And you begin to waste away in prison, again, crying out to God for help and hearing nothing. And that is what Joseph went through. But that's not the ending of the story. We know the end of his story. And in time, by God's salvation and providence, he is released from prison and become second in command to Pharaoh himself. If you look in Genesis 41, verse 40, we see Pharaoh say, only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. The throne is just a formality here. The fact that Pharaoh sits on it makes him stronger than Joseph. It is very easy to say when Joseph is raised to this status, he possesses more power than Pharaoh. It's just because Pharaoh sits on the throne. So it's just a title. But this all culminates into one final act of blessing from God. Two sons, and a whole sermon could be preached on Ephraim, his secondborn, and the meaning of that name, but we're looking at his firstborn today. And he names that first one Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all of my troubles, all of my hardships, all of my suffering. So I'm sitting alone in my car at night crying beauty of God showing me that one blessing from God can outweigh years, years of pain, hardship, and suffering. And I begin to thank God for the blessings that he has given us in this lifetime. So looking at all of what Joseph goes through, he never once says, God's made me forget all of my trouble from the status he gets or the power he gets, but it is the gift of a son that he goes, 
Manasseh, tears in his eyes, if you can imagine, after everything he's gone through, can cry out, Manasseh, Lord, has made me forget all of my suffering. And so I sit in my car thinking again, wow, I cannot wait for my Manasseh moment, the moment where I can just praise God and say, Manasseh. And so today we are going to talk about a biblical understanding of worldly blessings. And that brings us to our first main point. Worldly blessings may happen. Note that word, may happen. The church today has an aversion to preaching about blessings on this earth, thanks to prosperity gospel preachers and faith healers who say, if you go to church, if you pray, if you most importantly tithe, if you sow a seed to my ministry, a $50, a $100, a $200 seed, I will bless you. The Lord will bless you. You'll have a better car, a better spouse. You'll have a happy life. You'll have a better job. You'll succeed in everything you say and do. I want to be very clear here that teachers at this church, myself, Keith, the elders, we absolutely deny the preaching of the prosperity gospel. It is false and it leads Christians and many people astray and it has no business in the house of the Lord. I want to be very clear when I say that. Yet, when we look at scripture, we see moments in time where God does appear to bless people for their obedience to him. He chooses to. Spiritual blessings or physical worldly blessings may happen. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 13. The Lord says this. If you walk in my statutes, he's talking to the nation of Israel now. If you walk in my statutes and my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains and their seasons, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in the land securely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go down or go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old and make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Lord is saying to the nation of Israel, if you obey me, if you walk in faith, and dependence on me, then I will bless you. Now consider the next part of the chapter on your own time to see what happens when Israel doesn't obey, and each one of the curses that the Lord threatens upon Israel comes to pass throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. But we see here, if you obey me, Israel, then I will bless you. I will give you peace. I will let you be fruitful and multiply. What could be said about the story of Job if you grew up in the church, how Satan challenges the Lord and says, let me see Job. Job only blesses you and praises you because you've made him prosper. Take it away and he'll curse you. 
And so the Lord lets Satan do whatever he wants. He, Satan kills Job's entire family except his wife. He takes away everything he owns and makes him sick, apparently. OBC boils on him. He's crying out in pain. His wife says, you're only good to curse God and die now. But we know as Job remains faithful and we see God blessing him. Look now in Job 42, 12 to 17. This is the conclusion to Job's story. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And in a land where there were no women, beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and sons' sons, four generations, and Job died, an old man full of days. So we see the Lord blessing Job for his faith and his obedience and his dependence on God. Job did not curse God and die, and he was rewarded. Lastly, we can recall how God blessed Solomon with wealth, power, and most importantly, what we know, wisdom for his devotion to to God. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 4 through 12. And the king being Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. I want to pause there. That's a big deal. That's a huge worshipful act to God. A thousand burnt offerings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for the multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil and who is able to govern this great people of yours. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honors, that no other king shall compare with you all your days. A lot of verses, but all showing that as Solomon humbly asks for wisdom, the Lord blesses him in his devotion, his humility, with more blessings on this earth. Earth And I could go on and on as the Bible is full of these stories. We can recall in the Gospels where the disciples in faith and obedience cast their nets to the other side of the boat and they pull out all the fish so much that the nets are breaking. They are reaping a great amount of fish. We think of the honorable and faithful widow to the prophet Elijah who invites him in, bakes him food, lets him stay there. And then eventually when her son dies, she is rewarded for her faithfulness and godliness, and her son is resurrected, the first resurrection we see in the Bible. And we think of Lazarus, 
how the faith of his family and the love they had towards Jesus and vice versa, that he is blessed with being resurrected. So it is safe to say that at times God chooses to bless his people on this earth at times. Now, if God chooses to bless us in a physical, worldly fashion, yes and amen. I don't think anyone in here doesn't want to be blessed. No one goes to bed at night, or maybe you do, but I, don't, I know I don't go to bed at night saying, Lord, do not give me money. Whatever you do, do not give me a new car. As my car was falling apart about a month ago, I did not say, Lord, whatever you do, do not give me a new car. No, I did not say that. I said, Lord, I don't want to die on the road. Please give me a new car. I'm begging you. I prayed for blessings, but I want to, I want to challenge you. If you take away all the time in your prayer where you are asking for God things, how long are your prayers? Do you spend more time asking for blessings than praising God for his faithfulness to you? In high school, I would have given the answer 10 seconds in my prayer because I ask God for everything and then I say, uh, thanks man. And then I say, amen, go to bed. Take away the times you ask for blessings in your prayer. What are you left with? How long are your prayers? What are your prayers focusing on? Blessings or thankfulness and praise to God? We obey God out of our love for him and our desire to be like him, not because he may give us a thousand dollars because he can and he may. Yes and amen to that. But he also might not. And yes and amen to that. If you are blessed on earth by God, rest and enjoy your gifts. It is not a sin to have a second vehicle or a third vehicle. It is not a sin to have a boat or to have a big house. But what are you using those blessings for? Are you looking at them and saying, yep, I deserve that. I read all of Leviticus. You know how hard that is to do, Lord? Give me a boat. Or do you look at your blessings and say, God, I thank you. I am undeserving of this. Allow me to give back and use this for your glory and your honor. I can recall so many stories from this own church that I I couldn't even tell you about people saying, the Lord has blessed me with this, and this is how we use it for his glory and honor. When I got my car, my first ever car, my freshman year of high school or of college, from means I can only describe as an act of God, as it was given to me free of charge, completely paid for, at a time when I needed a car the most, totally from God, I didn't sit there and go, yes, finally, I'm majoring in theology, Lord, about time. No, I said, Lord, I don't deserve this. Thank you. I need this. This is an answer to prayers. I was praying for a vehicle. And I used it for my own pleasure. Yes, I I drove drove girls on dates with it, even though it was shaking as I'd go up to the girls' dorm and be like, all right, get in, we're going to go. And then I'd be like, all right, we're not going to die. I would take girls out. I would take friends out. I would do things with it. I'd go where I'd want and I'd travel, but also... I would turn and use it to bless others around me. I would drive my friends to church. I would pick my friends up after a horrible day and we'd go get food. I would use it for ministry. I would say, Lord, let me use this gift for you. What do you do, church, with your blessings? Do you use them to minister to others? Do you use them selfishly? Do you use them as a gift from God and recognize, I don't deserve this, but Lord, thank you. Again, it's not a sin to be blessed in this world by things or to have things given to you. It's a sin when those become our motivation that I'm going to go to church, I'm going to read my Bible because I expect God to bless me. God doesn't owe you anything. We're not promised anywhere in Scripture that things will be given to us. Look again at that first point. May 
happen. God can choose to bless us. Think and recall the parable of the talents. Why was that last servant punished? You think of the the master who leaves, I give you 10 talents, go and do something with it. I give you five talents, go and do something with it. He goes to the last servant, I'm giving you one talent, go and do something with it. Why is that last servant punished? It's because he didn't use what was given to him for the glory of his master. When you are blessed by God, are you using your talents, pun intended actually, when you get to the word talent, are you using your blessings for God's glory? Are you huddled over here in the corner saying, I earned this, I deserve this, this boat, this car, this big house, this bank account, mine, nobody else's. I'm not giving it away. I'm not doing anything with it. It's mine. Or are you sitting there with the Lord and saying, thank you. How can I use this for God's glory? Take delight and be content with the God or with the gifts God has given you. But church this is the big part. Be content if he chooses not to bless you, which brings us to our second point. Worldly blessings may not happen. The opposite end of the spectrum now, we come to the harsh reality of life on this earth, that God can choose not to bless us physically and worldly. And I'm going to be, and I want you to hear me when I say this. He is equally glorified and honored in this lifetime and in your lifetime by choosing to bless you as he is by not blessing you. Deuteronomy 29, 29 reads, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. Why does God bless some of his children and not others? Why does God bless Jacob and not Esau before they've even done a single thing on the earth? Why does his blessings and providence reside over King David and not King Saul before Saul has even been given a chance? Why did he choose to pour out his blessings on the nation of Israel and not Egypt? Surely Egypt would have been better if we think physically speaking. The will of the Lord is one of those secret things. We don't know the perfect will of God. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is equally pleased and delighted to bless some and not bless others. And it does not mean that you are a bad Christian if he has not blessed you. Many people, myself included, come to God and come to Christianity with an idea of karma, that if I read my Bible for a week, if I go to church for a month, maybe I'll get whatever it is that I pray for. I was talking to a a friend this morning saying in, in high school or in college, this is an embarrassing story, but in college, I literally was so deep into this teaching that I had a date in two weeks. And I said, all right, God, I'm going to read my Bible every day for the next two weeks. And I'm going to go to church this Sunday. And maybe would you then honor my devotion to you and let this work out? And then the date didn't happen. And I was like, come on, man. I read the Old Testament. You know how hard that is sometimes? All those names, all those begats and begats. What in the world? And then I lashed out, didn't go to church, stopped reading my Bible for a month because I was mad because this girl was not hard to look at and I really wanted to date her. (laughs) But how do you approach when blessings don't happen? Do you lash out with anger or do you submit and say, Lord, it's okay, I'm honoring you. I'm still gonna love you. I'm gonna praise you in this no matter what happens. You see, the prosperity gospel says you just need to have more faith 
You need to read your Bible more, go to church more, and more importantly, tithe more. Sow a seed to my ministry. Well, you only sowed the $10 seed. You kind of got his attention. But if you sow the $200 seed, whoo, you're going to get everything you want. You need to be, for the lack of a better term, a better Christian, and God will bless you. But we know that's not the case. Jesus clearly gives a story that is so anti-prosperity gospel to this, that if you, well, if I just do the right thing, surely God will give me what I want. Turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. This is a parable Jesus is speaking here. He says in verse 7, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What does that mean? What is he getting at? Don't look for rewards for doing what is asked and expected of you. We have been commanded in scripture to study the word of God, attend service in church. Pray for one another. Devote ourselves to the preaching and study of the word. Love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, and mind. That is what is expected and asked of us. So why do we look for blessings in in what's our job description as Christians? It's like having a child come up to you and saying, I did all these things. Like, well, yeah, you're my son or my daughter. What are you looking for? (laughs) Now, allowance is a little bit different thing, but Like you are doing the things expected of you as a child. The same thing can be said here. I can't read my Bible enough and guarantee blessings because that's what already is expected of me as a child of God. Same thing. I'm not going to pray over somebody and then turn around and say, all right, Lord, I prayed a thousand bucks, please. Like I really like this or that, or I want my baseball team to really win. I'm going to read my Bible all week. Help me out here, man. It doesn't work like that. I'm doing the things that are commanded of me. Each and every Sunday after Keith preaches a message. He does not go to his office, sit back and recline and go, where's my trophy? I did a great job. That's his job is to preach and he loves his job. Same thing with my job. When I meet with somebody, when I get done teaching a class, I don't sit down and be like, all right, Lord, where's my trophy? I earned it. No, I'm doing my job. The person bagging groceries or the Uber driver at the end of the day doesn't look for an outstanding check and reward. Be like, wow, look how great I am. They are doing the things in their job description. So when we look at this as the servant, which one of us will say to a servant, good job for doing this. I'm going to honor you now. No, you say, okay, you still have more to do. Church, our work is not done. We still have a lot of stuff we have to do. We have to preach, proclaim the gospel. We should not be looking for rewards and blessings because we read our Bible one day. We do it because we love God and we want to honor him and we want to grow in him. So I want to be very clear when I say this godliness does not equal deserving. The Christian who studies the word for his entire life is not more deserving of God's blessings than the Christian who is two days young. They are equal in the sight of God. One does not merit more blessings than the other. If you don't believe me yet, consider now the Apostle Paul, author of a third of the Bible, easily the godliest person in the Bible next to Jesus, of course, received the exact opposite of spiritual or physical blessings in this lifetime. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 29 or 23 to 29, Paul says, are there servants of Christ? I am a better one. 
I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And if that wasn't bad enough, apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? Paul never once in his missionary journeys in lifetime was given a worldly blessing, a physical blessing for his work. Paul suffered immensely. There was no Manasseh moment for him where he says, oh, this house, this gift, this physical blessing has made me forget everything. No, There was nothing like that in Paul's life. Godliness does not equal deserving of blessings. We must learn, church, to be content in this lifetime with what God has already given us. Any gift that he gives is nothing more than a mere extension of his loving kindness given to an undeserved humanity. There is nothing we can do that will guarantee blessings. God doesn't hate you if he chooses not to bless you. He loves you. He cares about you. You're not a bad Christian because Joe over here got a boat and I didn't. It's not how it works. There's no karma system with the Lord. Sometimes he blesses obedience. And sometimes, in Paul's case, he chooses not to. Church, how do you reply when blessings don't come? I don't reply biblically. When I was in college and in high school, seeing my grandfather diagnosed with Alzheimer's as we're living with him and my grandmother, my dad is dying in the hospital and I'm in eighth grade. We're filing for bankruptcy. Divorce papers are on the kitchen table. And what do I do? Like, I'm out. Called God a bunch of names. Coward amongst them, but a lot worse names. Threw things in my room. Ripped pages in my Bible. I had a notebook and wrote down, the only good thing about being a Christian is you don't get to go to hell. I was angry. I was livid. I hated Christians. I hated the church. I couldn't deny the existence of God, but man, if you loved him, who did not like you? When blessings did not come my way, I ran away from God. But eventually my Manasseh moment, if you will, happened when my freshman year, my father passed away. Eventually I am in his room And our relationship was rekindled after years of, I don't want to speak to you. I wish you were dead. You're a failure as a father. Things I said to him. And those are the last words he heard consciously of me. And my dad is sitting on a ventilator unconscious. And I rekindle that relationship with him. I ask for his forgiveness. And then the only response I can get is a squeeze of a hand, which they said was impossible to happen. Or he's not responsive, but I get a squeeze when he hears me speak. And that was my Manasseh moment. Lord, You have made me forget everything that I had to suffer because I get three more hours with my dad as he, that was Monday night and he eventually passes away Tuesday, early Tuesday morning. 
I go, God has made me forget all of my troubles because I get this last little bit and have rekindled my relationship with my father. That for me, with tears in my eyes, I could say, Manasseh, Manasseh. What is your response then, church, when blessings arrive or and don't arrive? Do you cower and run away from God, lash out in anger, or do you submit to the will of God? Do not look to me as a good example because that's what I did. I still wrestle with that. I've been very blessed by God. I, I, I want to comfort you and say and comfort myself. I am in the center of God's will for my life. I can comfortably say I love this church with every fiber of my being. I am in my dream job. I've gone to bed overjoyed, almost to the point of tears because of this church, because I love this job. The Lord has blessed me with the work that I do here. But there are times and there were jobs where I'm cleaning carpets for, for of foreclosed houses. And I'm like, I do not want to be here right now. Where you at, Lord? <laughs> so, there are times. So what do you do when blessings happen? And what do you do when blessings do not happen? Where does your faith lie? Does your faith lie at the cross with Christ and with God our Father? Or does your faith lie in that bank account or that shiny boat or that really nice car or truck that you really want? Where does your faith lie? And what is your motivation for obedience to Christ? Yes, blessings can come. Yes and Amen. Blessings may not come. Yes and amen. We were talking in my community group last week about one of my favorite football movies, Facing the Giants. And at the end, they say, Lord, if we win, we're going to praise you. And if we lose, we're going to praise you. Take that same attitude, man, every day. Lord, this is what I want. If it happens, I'm going to bless you. If, I, if it doesn't happen, I'm still going to bless you. What can be said about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stared death in the face with King Nebuchadnezzar and says, we have no reason to talk to you, Nebuchadnezzar. Our God can save us from the fiery furnace. What do they say next? But if not, we will still praise and honor him. And we know that they are saved by God. But do you have a but if not faith? that I don't care what happens on this earth, Lord. I'm here for you and nothing else. I don't want this stuff. I want you. Do you carry that faith with you today, church? And that brings us to our final thought. We all look forward to one ultimate final blessing, union with Christ. Every one of us in this room that profess faith in Jesus, look, hear me now, look with a confident hope towards the future promise of union and eternity with Jesus. There is no blessing in this lifetime that can even slightly compare to seeing Jesus in eternity. No car, no boat, no house, no bank account, no job, no success that compares to this. Think back to what Paul wrote about all the pains he went through. How does he conclude that grand thought when the next chapter over, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, he ends with this statement. Paul is talking about a thorn in his side, a pain that he is given, and he begs the God, or begs God to remove the thorn, and it doesn't happen. And then he says, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that the glory of God and the glory of Christ is the only thing that matters in this lifetime. He doesn't care about the blessings. Obviously, 
it hurts him. Obviously, their pains are, and otherwise he would not pray that they go away. But at the end of the statement, he says, I don't care. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord tells him. And he says, I am content in all of this. Paul knew the glory of Christ took chief precedent over everything else. And church, while we wait here on earth, God has given us a beautiful blessing, his Holy Spirit. Gospel of John 15, 26 and 27 reads, but when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This blessing, this helper, this Holy Spirit never leaves us. This blessing of his presence never runs out. Church, if you profess faith, if you have that confident hope, know that the spirit is with you, inside you, and Christ will never forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Church, while we walk on this earth, we may experience blessings from God. We may at times have experiences where we act like Joseph and just say, Manasseh, God, this blessing has made me forget all the pains. Manasseh, thank you. Or we may walk this earth never once receiving a blessing, a worldly blessing from God. Whatever happens, we need to shift our motivation and focus to this. Glorify God and all that we say and all that we do. Blessings aside, in pains and hardships, bankruptcy, death of a loved one, friends and family leaving, never speaking to us, being fired from a job. How do you respond when blessings don't come? When you pray for something and it doesn't come, take it and say, I'm still going to glorify God in all that I say and all that I do. God has given us, church, all we need in this lifetime his Holy Spirit, and salvation. And one day soon, in heaven, with unveiled faces, we are going to look at the glory of God. We will walk the streets of gold and of glory and see Jesus and all of his power and might. And many of us, just like myself, will probably only be able to utter one word. Manasseh. Manasseh, because God has made me forget all of my suffering on earth because now I see what it was all for, God's glory. Manasseh, church, where do you put your Manasseh, if you will? Do you put it in the worldly blessings or do you put it in the hope, the confident hope of Christ? As we close in prayer, I'm going to invite the band to come up, and then Ron, one of our elders, is going to give us the communion meditation. Church, how do you respond when you receive blessings? No matter what happens, will you praise God? Will you honor him? Blessings may come. Blessings may not. It does not mean God hates you when you are not blessed. Look towards him. Put your faith and trust in him, and regardless of your circumstances, honor and glorify God. Let us bow our heads.